Chapter Seven of William Again by Rick Malcrompton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: William's Secret Society. William considered that the microbe world was treating him unfairly. Mild chickenpox would be, on the whole, a welcome break in the monotony of life it would mean delicacies such as jelly and cream and chicken it would mean respite from the pressing claims of education it would afford an excuse for disinclination to work for months afterwards william was an expert in the tired look and deep sigh that for many months after an illness would touch his mother's heart and make her tell him to put his books away and go out for a walk no one could rival william in extracting the last ounce of profit from a slight indisposition and now henry douglas and ginger william's bosom friends and companions in crime had all succumbed to chickenpox and chickenpox had passed william by leaving him aggrieved and lonely william himself spared no effort he breathed in heavily the atmosphere of ginger's latin grammar on which ginger had been lately engaged as soon as he heard that ginger had fallen a victim it was no use william caught nothing so william was left alone bereft of his faithful friends gloomily picturing their existence as one glorified holiday but his troubles did not end there mr creamer william's peaceful and long-suffering form-master became ill and the next morning his place was taken by mr french william's attitude to his schoolmasters was as a rule one of pitying forbearance but he was on the whole quite kindly disposed to them he indulged their whims he smiled at their jokes he endured their sarcasm but he refused to concentrate his mental powers on x's and y's and dates like eighteen fifteen in the few precious hours that were at his disposal in the evening instead of doing homework he preferred to play at red indians or pirates or to hunt for rats and rabbits with jumble his mongrel dog until the coming of mr french william's relations with his schoolmasters had been fairly amicable mr creamer was a pacifist he wanted peace at any price he frankly avoided conflict with william if he saw william quietly engaged in drawing beetles during his lesson he did not expostulate he thanked heaven for it he was not a proud man but mr french definitely disliked william he kept him in till unreasonable hours in the evening upon william's making a quiet and unostentatious exit by way of the window when his back was turned he followed william to his home appeared suddenly when william was sitting down to a delayed but welcome meal and led him ignominiously back when william and his special friends according to their time-honoured custom had bought a large pork pie to be passed surreptitiously round for a bite each in order to beguile the tedium of a geometry lesson mr french descended upon william as he was in the act of making the first bite and condemned him to consume the mountainous whole before the assembled form it was not that the pork pie was really too much for william's digestive capacity it was that even william felt the procedure to be lacking in dignity 
moreover there was a stormy meeting afterwards of shareholders in the pie who demanded their money back but it was when william had spent the whole of afternoon school laboriously writing the first chapter of what was to be an epoch-making story and mr french had seized upon it read it aloud to the form and then burnt it publicly and disdainfully that william felt it was time that something happened to mr french he was proud of that story he thought it sounded a jolly good yarn even when read by mr french who didn't seem to know how to pronounce half the words the policeman rushed upon the outlaw as he stood there so proud and manly oh oh he cried come on varlets and i'll jolly well show you with one sweep of his gory blade three policemen's heads rolled off into a heap he shot another through the brain another fell strangled and another what had a weak heart fell down dead at the horrible sight only one was left the other gave a snarling laugh through his clenched teeth come on varlets he said waving his gory blade in one hand and his gun in the other and holding a dagger in his clenched teeth but the policeman slank off coward taunted the outlaw through clenched teeth william felt strongly that it was a very good story he'd have to write the whole thing out again now it was certainly time something happened to mr french he went home planning vengeance he walked home slowly his brow drawn into a stern frown not leaping in and out of the ditch or hurling missiles at passing friends or enemies as was his usual custom his thoughts were so entirely taken up with schemes of vengeance that he walked past the turning that led to his home and found himself in a road through which he did not often pass two boys stood outside the gate of a house they were boys whom william's mother would have designated as common william whose tastes were lamentably low looked at them with interest he felt suddenly lonely and eager for the society of his kind the opportunity of an introduction soon occurred the larger of the two boys looked up to find william's scowling gaze fixed upon him hello freckles he called accompanying the insult with a grimace of obviously hostile intent william forgetting all thoughts of mr french in the exhilaration of the moment advanced threateningly you just say that again he said the red-haired boy obligingly said it again and william closed with him they rolled across the road and into the ditch and out of it again william pulled the red-haired boy's nose and the red-haired boy rubbed william's head in the dust it was quite a friendly fight merely an excuse for the display of physical energy the second boy sat on the fence and watched every now and then he spat in the dust with a certain conscious pride at last friendly relations having been established by the bout william and the red-haired boy sat up in the dust and looked at each other what's your name demanded william sam what's yourn william do you go to school the red-haired boy looked scornful school me not much i'm workin i am i works there i does he cocked his thumb in the direction of the house ain't much catch though he ain't stingy old blighter never so much as says take an apple or two or pack a bunch of grapes or two not he and me the gardener's boy he relapsed into pensive gloom at this recital of his woes 
so don't you never get none said william sympathetically don't i said sam with a wink what you think that's all i ask you what do you think but it'd be friendlier in him to ask me to ave one or two not he admitted as it makes much difference but he's a stingy bloke all his has been he's one of these here school teachers kinder disagreeable in his manner what's his name said william with sudden interest old frenchy we calls him said sam and don't he think he's clever not arf oh my into william's inscrutable countenance had come a gleam of light for a moment his thoughts worked silently and daringly would you like he said at last to belong to a secret society sam put his cap on one side and chewed a blade of grass ruminatively dunno he said never tried leastways not as i can call to mind well said william persuasively you can try now i want to start one and you can belong i want you to belong cause you're his gardener's boy and can do things cause he's awful mean and made me eat all the old pie and burnt my tail and said lots of things and i want to make a secret society for paying them out sam seemed to grasp the situation all right he said and what do i get for it this slightly nonplussed william oh he said vaguely it's a society you just belong you uh, well you just belong sam was considering the idea let's have him he said pointing at the boy who was still sitting on the fence and spitting proudly at intervals is errand boy at the grocer's he is and he's often round here he's called halbert he is albert was approached and expressed himself willing to join i don't mind belonging he said with a sigh of deep feeling i wouldn't mind murderin of him sometimes when he tells me to get out of his garden scornful like i would be a murderin him long ago if i hadn't been for my poor old mother even william was startled you needn't murder him he said hastily he's only got to be paid out the secret society of vengeance met for the first time the next afternoon in an old barn on the hillside albert had brought a friend of the name of leopold to swell their numbers leopold wore a tweed cap many sizes too large for him pulled down over his eyes it gave him a daredevil air he announced in a husky voice that he didn't care nothin for no one so there william looked round at his small band with a proud heart though he had not forgotten the aims of his secret society it was the fact of its existence that really thrilled him now we've got to take a sacred and solemn oath he said and sign it in our blood and get a secret password and a secret sign and a secret language leopold created a diversion by announcing briefly and gruffly that no one was going to sign nothing in his blood when threatened with ejection by william and taunted with cowardice by sam he flung himself upon them in dramatic fury they moved hastily aside in opposite directions and his outstretched fist came heavily in contact with a nail in the barn door as an adequate supply of blood seemed to be promptly assured he lost his anger and became unbearably conceited parading his bleeding fist and commenting on some people he knew who would have made a fuss and no mistake over a little thing like that he didn't mind a little thing like that he'd well anyway hurry up with that oath or it would be drying up 
william had found in his pocket a grimy piece of paper and the stump of a pencil and was writing with a set purposeful expression now listen he said at last this is what i've wrote we what our names are signed in blood under this writing take an oath to avenge to the death any member of this society what is treated unfair this is a secret society the punishment for any one what does not revenge any one else or what tells about society is not to be spoke to or played with by any of the other people in the society for ever till death the signatures were the next difficulty leopold signed his with a scornful pride that was beginning to make him unpopular william feeling that his reputation as founder of the society was at stake took out a battered penknife made a slight incision with a dramatic gesture and signed his name beneath leopold's albert said he wasn't going to cut his finger because he was afraid of bleeding to death and then he wouldn't be able to support his poor old mother when he was a man he got some red paint at home and he was going to fetch that he wouldn't take a minute he repeated that he wouldn't mind cutting off his head if it wasn't for his poor old mother leopold's airs were becoming insufferable he ejaculated oh yes at intervals during albert's speech but the rest of the society seemed to be agreed to ignore him for the present sam with an exaggerated expression of agony manfully endured had been coaxing a two days old scratch and had just completed his signature when albert returned with the red paint when the document was complete william folded it up and put it in his pocket now he said assuming a business-like attitude we've got to think of a secret password leopold darkly suggested l but it was felt that though sinister it was too indefinite albert after deep thought brought forward the proposal hangland hexpex this was felt to be on the whole too lofty and finally sam's suggestion of down with tyrants was accepted william proposed and seconded by himself was elected president and the others also on his proposal and seconding were elected secretaries a whistle of penetrating and inharmonious tone was originated by william as a secret sign of danger at which the whole society was to rally further a member of the society on meeting another member was to cross the thumb and first finger and to utter darkly the words outlaw brother finally each member raised his right hand uttered slowly and solemnly the fatal words down with tyrants till death and the meeting dispersed mr french became thoughtful the morning after he kept william in he found with painful consequences a hornet in his boot the evening after he had showered on william his choicest sarcasms he found the back tire of his bicycle punctured after another conflict with william he found various indispensable things missing from his bag when he arrived at school though he could have sworn he had put them in he found them later in the greenhouse on another occasion he found that a little soot had been put in his hat and had reposed on his head as he paid a call and all unconscious of his appearance had tried to charm his headmaster's daughter it was incredible but 
he pondered deeply over the matter and always came to the same conclusion it was incredible but he tried ignoring william and the curious inexplicable annoyances ceased it was certainly incredible but he left it at that the aims of the society widened when mr beale the squire of the village chased william in person out of his orchard with the help of dogs sticks and stones he found the next morning in his orchard in full view of the road a scarecrow bearing a curious resemblance to himself and wearing a suit of his old clothes when the rev cuthbert pugh called william a nasty dirty little boy and i am sure a great trial to his dear mother he discovered the next morning horrid little gargoyle-like faces outlined in white paint on all his trees most unpleasant and conspicuous and unclerical it was altogether a successful secret society it achieved its aims it gave william back his self-respect which mr french had considerably impaired the secretaries sam albert and leopold seemed to take delight in avenging the insults heaped by an unsympathetic world on their president it was pure joy to william to meet any of them in the street or lanes cross his finger and thumb and utter darkly the words outlaw brother so far all was well then ginger henry and douglas recovered from chickenpox came back to school the peaceful and inoffensive mr creamer returned to his own form-room and mr french retired to his own fifth form mr french was not sorry to go he went with one last speculative look at william and with the final thought that it was incredible but life held once more games and walks and daring adventures with ginger henry and douglas william lost his sense of grievance he realized from his friends accounts of their illness that he had not missed much gradually the once thrilling thought of his secret society ceased to thrill him at first he took delight in uttering the mysterious password when he was with ginger henry or douglas but he became bored with it himself even before it got on their nerves and they took active physical measures to get it off their nerves all right agreed william picking himself out of the ditch and removing the dead leaves from his hair and mouth i won't say it again but i jolly well won't tell you why i used to say it it's a deadly secret and i guess you can't guess what it means yes and i guess we jolly well don't want to returned ginger it was the next week that william called a final meeting of the secret society to announce its dissolution as the members appeared he realized how intensely he disliked them leopold especially he hated leopold now he hated his large cap and little eyes and projecting teeth he looked at him coldly and critically as he made his speech the society's got her stop now cause i've got her lot of other things to do and we're making a bridge over the stream in the field and i've not got time for secret societies and i don't want revenging any more cause he's gone now and so we'll stop it what about till death said leopold hoarsely things has changed since then said william oh yes said leopold scathingly william's dislike of leopold increased anyway i made it he said aggressively so i can stop it all right said sam you can pay us off and stop it pay you off repeated william aghast 
yes agreed albert you pay us off and we'll stop it oh yes said leopold i've got nothing to pay you off with said william desperately you don't be paid for being in a secret society i told you you didn't you just belong well said sam as if astounded by the depravity of human nature and us working for you risking our lives for you put in leopold pathetically to be treated like this here ended albert sadly but what do you want said the president wildly i've not got any money left this week and next week's and the week after's going to pay for an old clock being mended what i was just looking at and i put it back all right cept how was i to know there was too many wheels in it and i tell you you don't be paid for being in a secret society no one is they just they just belong and i keep telling you you don't understand what about till death put in leopold again in his sepulchral tones all right said sam we'll just go and tell old frenchy and mr beale and mr pew and your father that we did all those things but you put us up to em and made us do em he gazed at william dispassionately i'm sorry for you you'll catch it william's freckled countenance was full of horror and amazement he passed a grimy hand through his already wild hair but but it's not right you don't understand it's a society you did the things cause you belonged you can't go and tell em afterwards you you, you don't understand we won't tell of them if you'll pay us off said sam what about till death said leopold triumphantly with an air of bringing forward an irrefutable argument william took refuge in sarcasm i believe i've told you he said with a passable imitation of mr french's manner that i've no money i shall be very glad to make some money for you out of nothing if you'll show me how oh yes if you can show someone what's not got any money how to make some money out of nothing i'll make some for you as much as you like oh yes i hope he ended remembering one of mr french's favorite phrases that i make myself quite clear they gazed at him in unwilling admiration of his eloquence sam brought them back to the matter at hand it needn't be money he said all we say is we ought to get something for all the trouble and danger we've took for you something to eat would do something nice and big yes and how am i to get it demanded william indignantly do you want me to starve do you think my folks would look on and watch me starve to death giving my food to you just cause you went and put an old scarecrow in someone's garden do you think that's a good reason for one person to starve to death cause another person put a scarecrow in another person's garden they were aware that in rhetoric william soared far beyond them well we'll go home with you said sam ignoring the argument either you'll just give us something nice and big to eat or we'll tell your father william though rather pale laughed scornfully yes you just come home with me he said i guess you've not seen our dog have you nearly as big as a horse i guess there won't be much of you left when our dog sees you ha with what was meant to be a sinister laugh he turned on his heel and strolled off with sinking heart he saw that they were accompanying him leopold and his projecting teeth walking by his side sam and albert behind with a slight swagger and humming airily to himself 
but with apprehension at his heart william slowly wended his homeward way at the gate stood jumble his dog small and friendly and rapturously glad to see them all jumble was no snob having assured william of his lifelong devotion and ecstatic joy at seeing him again he went on to extend a tempestuous welcome to sam albert and leopold william looked at him with affectionate sorrow though he adored jumble he thought he'd ask for a bloodhound for his next birthday present a really savage one that would recognize his enemies at a glance he walked still with his careless swagger but with his heart sinking lower at every step round to the side door sam albert and leopold still accompanied him now whispered sam you go and get us something real slap up to eat or we'll tell your father what you made us do william entered the side door and shut it firmly he went first to the kitchen cook was lifting a large pie out of the oven his gloomy expression lifted what's that for cook he inquired politely for some people as comin to dinner to-night and none o your business master william there was no love lost between william and cook william wandered casually over to the larder door and opened it gently cook wheeled sharply round please come away from that door and go out of my kitchen master william your tea's laid in the dining-room william uttered his famous scornful laugh ah if i wanted anything to eat i wouldn't come here for it i wouldn't care to eat anything out of this larder my goodness i'd sooner starve than eat out of this larder if i make myself quite clear cheered by these crushing remarks but still apprehensive of what the next few hours might bring him he went into the dining-room his spirits rose still further at the sight of a lavish meal but dropped as he noticed the presence of his mother and grown-up sister ethel he would have preferred a clear field for his operations he uttered the mumbling sound with which he generally greeted his family you're rather late dear said his mother are your hands clean william replied by the same non-committal grunt pushed back his untidy hair with his hands then hastily sat down keeping his hands beneath the tablecloth till public interest in their colour should have waned through the window he could plainly see the forms of sam albert and leopold standing outside and his apprehension increased mother he said faintly it feels kind of stuffy in here may i take my tea out into the garden i think i could eat it better there mrs brown looked at him anxiously do you feel ill darling oh, kind of said william i feel kind of as if i'd like to have tea out of doors i could eat quite a big tea but only out of doors it's that kind of a feeling sort of as if i felt faint and not hungry indoors but would be all right and wantin a big tea in the garden fiddlesticks remarked ethel coldly if you feel like that darling said mrs brown i think you'd better lie down i'll bring you up a nice little tea on a tray william perceived that sam was grimacing at him through the window and pointing meaningly to the table it's not that sort of a feeling at all said william it's quite a different sort i'd like just cake lot the cake in the garden i'd feel all right then if i could just take a lot of cake and eat outside william said mrs brown who had moved over to the window who are those boys in the garden 
William moistened his lips. "'Which boys?' he said innocently, but with an expression of grim despair. "'There, by the hedge. They're pulling faces at you.' "'Oh, those,' said William, as if seeing them for the first time. "'Do you mean those?' "'Who are they, William?' "'Those boys,' said William slowly, to gain time. "'Just friends of mine, that's all. Just friends of mine that was interested in gardens and wanted to see.' but they're horrid common rough boys william gave a hollow laugh oh, oh no he said they're, they're not really they only look like horrid common rough boys they're dressed like horrid common rough boys they don't talk nonsense william go and tell them to go away at once have you finished your tea william glared bitterly at the people who seemed bent on bringing about his doom oh yes he said i've had all the tea i feel like having in here i don't know what'll happen to me later on he went on pathetically with not having been able to have my tea the way i felt like go and send those boys away at once william and never bring them here again william whose opinion of life in general was at this moment unprintable went slowly into the garden you've got to go away he said in a hoarse whisper she says so all right we'll go and tell your father no said william you wait by the gate and i'll bring you something soon and my goodness it'll be a good long time before i go in for any more secret societies they went furtively down the garden drive and william returned to the house the guests were arriving he caught sight of the reverend cuthbert pugh and mr beale as they were ushered into the drawing-room he hovered disconsolately round the kitchen cook was securely in possession she watched his every movement suspiciously the position was desperate something must be done at any moment the story of his crimes might be laid before his father as cook opened and shut the larder door he caught sight of a large pie with brown crisp-looking pastry upon the top shelf that surely would pay off the blackmailing ex-secretaries of the secret society of vengeance quickly william formed his plans to go to the larder by the kitchen door was impossible but somehow or other he must get that pie he went out of the front door and crept round the house to the larder window it was unlatched he opened it quietly and climbed in holding his breath in suspense his fierce and scowling gaze fixed upon the door that led to the kitchen he took the pie and silently climbed out again there was exultation in his heart the end was in sight but he reckoned without caesar caesar was a boarhound belonging to mr beale who accompanied his master on all his social calls and waited outside the front door for him on this occasion he seemed to be laboring under the delusion that william was kindly bringing some refreshment for him to beguile his long evening he advanced to meet william with tail wagging and nose eagerly sniffing the delicious perfume of veal and ham pie his whole bearing expressed anticipation and gratitude william said down in a fierce whisper and held his precious pie high above his head caesar pranced along by his side his eyes uplifted towards the heavenly smell william had planned to creep through a shrubbery to the side gate 
but it is difficult to creep through a shrubbery holding a heavy pie above one's head in close company with an enormous dog whose energies are wholly concentrated on obtaining possession of the pie william managed the situation for some time he said down often and fiercely and struggled on bravely dragging the pie aloft through laurel and holly bushes but caesar felt at last that he had been trifled with long enough he rose on two legs placed his paws on william's shoulders impelled him gently to the ground and plunged his nose into his delicious supper william sat up rubbed a bruised elbow and looked around caesar's appetite and capacity were unlimited half the pie had disappeared already and the rest was fast disappearing crumbs said william remembering the title of a book he had read lately talk about dogged by fate with that thought came the thought of the hero of the book dick the dauntless he'd have thought nothing of a thing like that he'd have thought nothing of taken on sam and albert and leopold all together and licking em he'd have just walked up to them and let em see that they'd jolly well better leave him alone in future he'd have just laughed at that dog eating up all the pie william promptly uttered a harsh sound and caesar cocked an ear and looked up apologetically william was not a romancist for nothing he had ceased to be william dick the dauntless swaggered down the path to the gate with a dark scowl on his face sam peered through the dusk well he said eagerly what have you got through the bushes caesar swallowed the last mouthful of veal and ham pie and sat back with an expression of seraphic happiness and jumble humbly came forward to lick the dish nothing you you old varlet cried dick the dauntless and i jolly well won't get anything ever till death so there and you just clear off from outside my house or i'll he flung himself upon sam sam who was taken by surprise rolled into the ditch albert and leopold rushed upon william sam crawled out of the ditch and joined them and the battle began it's gone said mrs brown simply gone the three men looked at her in bewilderment the veal and ham pie exclaimed mrs brown the one we were going to have for supper cook says she put it in the larder only two minutes ago and now it's gone simply gone no one's been through the kitchen cook's been near the larder door all the time some tramp must have seen it through the window and taken it and he can't have gone far said mr brown mr beale sprang up let's catch him he said he's probably eating it in the shrubbery now the three men went out and gazed upon the darkening garden a faint crackling of twigs in the shrubbery reached them in single file and on tiptoe they set out at last they discerned a dim figure in front of them carrying something in its arms and accompanied by a dog there he is quietly we'll get him he's made friends with caesar quite a small man almost a boy there was a horrible suspicion at the heart of william's father but he followed with the rest the figure disappeared behind a laurel bush they followed still on tiptoe behind the bush they found only caesar finishing the remains of the pie and jumble watching him with wistful envy catch the old villain before he makes off said mr beale and they hastened on to the hedge at the end of the garden and looked over it there a glorious sight met their eyes 
dick the dauntless was fighting for his life against hundreds of foes he punched and butted and dodged and closed thousands fell at each stroke he was dimly aware of three heads watching him over the hedge but he had no time to look at them he heard vague sounds such as go it william got one in now old chap jolly good jolly good give it to him strong albert with a bewildered cry of oh help and a bleeding nose began to run off towards home there was very little left of dick the dauntless but with a desperate effort he flung leopold into the ditch whence leopold crawled forth and followed albert only sam was left sam was large and no coward and in spite of a bruised eye would have kept up the fight longer had not caesar appeared one glance at caesar was enough for sam echoing albert's cry of oh help he fled for dear life down the road then dick the dauntless vanished and william his collar burst his tie streaming his coat torn his ear bleeding turned to survey his audience of three from a quickly closing eye william in his pajamas pondered for a moment over the mystery of human life as he bestowed those few perfunctory brushes upon his shock of hair that constituted its evening toilette he had that day committed almost every crime known to boyhood he had brought common boys home he had stolen a pie he had fought openly on the high road he had spoiled his collar and tie and coat and acquired a thoroughly disreputable black eye finally turning from these crimes fully expecting to meet with retribution at the hands of his family he had been acclaimed as a hero he was bewildered he did not understand it he did not know why he was a hero instead of a criminal anyway it wasn't worth bothering over and anyway he was going to have a jolly fine black eye he thought proudly he turned a somersault from his chair to his bed which was his normal manner of entering it and drew the clothes up to his chin before he finally surrendered to the power of sleep he summoned up his chief impression of the evening they're jolly queer grown-ups are he said sleepily jolly queer End of chapter 7